0: Hi, and welcome to Hella Healthy, the world's sickest podcast. I'm Dr. Serenity Della Porta, and I will be your guide on this journey through health. This is our first episode, so thank you for joining us. I'm excited to introduce myself and this podcast to you and share with you some of the things I'm interested in and passionate about. So let's jump right in. First off, who am I? If you couldn't tell already, based on the name of the podcast, I was born and raised in California. In California, the word hella is just slang for very much. I earned my bachelor's degree in psychology from California State University of Fresno, and I earned my PhD in social and personality psychology from the University of California at Riverside. My research looked into how things like personality, relationships, and stress impact our health and longevity. The ultimate question that I'm interested in is why do some people live long and flourish while others flounder and die young? Are there psychological and social factors that could help us predict this? And if we apply this information, could we help people improve their health? I've taught university classes on health psychology, health and behavior change, statistics, and more. I worked at our campus wellness center doing wellness programming, and I recently started my own small business working to educate individuals and help organizations incorporate principles of health psychology into their culture and business, though that's been put on hold due to the pandemic. When I completed my PhD, My first child was six months old. I have been primarily a stay-at-home mom for the past eight years to my two young girls ages five and eight, whom I'm currently homeschooling. I also have experienced various health issues myself personally and have some very close friends with complex chronic health issues. So on this podcast, you're going to hear me talk from my expertise, and educational background, as well as my personal experiences. I'm going to bring both of those perspectives together to explore complex questions about health. There will be no quick tips or easy tricks to better health. I'm really wanting to dig into the messy, complex nature of health and get you thinking more deeply and critically about these things. So why start this podcast when there are a million and one other podcasts out there on health already? Well, first, I feel like there's a lot of misinformation out there. I don't feel like there is. There definitely is. And this probably isn't news to you. There's also very little discussion of how people can identify misinformation. So a lot of the podcasts on health are just trying to give recommendations for how people can improve their healthy lifestyle or make their lifestyle more healthy. But there's not a lot of discussion about, well, which of those recommendations are really reflective of what the evidence would tell us versus just something someone's trying to promote for their own self-interest. So I want to help you, as my listener, improve your ability to find the best quality information on any given health topic. So although our episodes will each cover a different health topic, I want you as the listener to be able to come away from this podcast being able to do your own exploration of any topic you're interested in. There's a lack of podcasts that explore the psychological and social aspects of health in a systematic and evidence-based way. So the basis of this podcast will be a search for objective truths about health using the scientific method. So, I already told you the questions that drive me and what I'm interested in, and all of the episodes will be based in using the scientific method as a means for seeking those truths about health. I'm not going to be trying to sell my listeners on any particular approach to health, or any program, or anything like that. And any recommendations that I would make on this podcast would be coming from evidence and science, and I would be very transparent about the evidence I'm basing it on and doing my best to give you your own ability to access that information, review it yourself, and come to your own conclusions. Because again, I want to equip my listeners to think critically about health. My goal is not to impart on you a particular perspective on health, but rather to get you to reflect On what it is you think and know regarding health, what it is we think and know as a culture and society, and how you can use all of that information to make the choices that match with your own personal values and goals when it comes to health. Some of the themes that you're going to find on this podcast are, how do people think about and behave regarding health? Why do people hold certain health beliefs? Which psychological and social factors are linked to health? And what do we understand about how or why? What are the most effective methods for changing health behaviors when we know it is beneficial? And what does all of this mean for individuals trying to navigate life and achieve the best possible health outcomes in our current time, in our current health system? So I should specify, you know, that I live in the United States. I'm no longer in California. I live in New York State now. But nonetheless, the perspective when I'm answering or exploring some of these kinds of questions is going to come from how things are in our health system and in our culture here in the United States. So if you're listening to this from a different place in the world, it might be a lot different for you. Some of the things of course, will apply across the board, but there will be specific things, especially when we're talking about our health system, because as I'm sure most of you already realize, our healthcare system here in the United States is, has its own unique challenges, let's say. Okay, so so that is a little bit about who I am, what my background is, what my qualifications are, and the kinds of things that I want to explore when it comes to this podcast. On today's episode, I want to talk about when did we start valuing health and wanting to live a healthy lifestyle. These ideas are newer than you might actually think they are. We've only even been talking about ideas like valuing your health and living a healthy lifestyle for about 60 years culturally. And it's actually only been fewer than 30 of those years that it's been very mainstream to talk about these things. So where do our ideas about health and living a healthy lifestyle come from? And what did people think about before that? So that's what I want to dig in today on our topic, hella fresh. So if you go way, way back to ancient times, a lot of you might already be familiar with the fact that disease was seen as a result of sin, some kind of spiritual attack or curse because of a sin that was committed by that person or someone in their family. And for a long time, this is really all that we see happening around health and disease. Really, there's no discussion or idea or concept of health. It's just this default state when there's an absence of disease. And disease is seen as the result of sin. It's seen as like a punishment, a spiritual nature to it. But in the 1800s, a new theory comes on the scene because people start noticing that, well, hey, disease can actually spread from one person to another. And how could that be the reflection of a punishment for sin or some kind of curse. It shouldn't be contagious, right? So they start noticing the contagious nature of disease, and people start to theorize, well, why could this be happening or how could this be happening? And a theory called miasma becomes popular. This theory, miasma, just means bad air. So the theory says disease is being spread through bad air. And that might sound totally wacky and completely off base to you. But if you really pause and think about what was happening and what was the evidence that they were observing, it does make some degree of sense. So if you're in the situation where people are passing a disease one to the other, many, many times the bodily fluids that transmit that disease can smell bad. Things like vomit. They're very putrid. And Our sense of smell is an extremely salient thing for us. So if you're observing what's happening and you're watching the situation as an observer trying to evaluate the evidence, it's not all that weird or crazy that you would think this nasty bad air smell thing that you're perceiving is the thing transmitting the disease. So this becomes a very popular view, this view that disease is spread through bad air. And if you go back and you look at the history of medicine, there's a lot of really interesting stories that you can read about how this theory drove different kinds of treatments for a while and so on. But in the late 1800s, a new theory comes on the scene and challenges miasma. And this one won't be new to you at all. It's germ theory. Good old germ theory. That disease is spread through microscopic organisms called germs And this is what we now know is the true nature of disease spread, that it is spread through viruses and bacteria, these quote-unquote germs. So for a long time, though, there's this fighting or this tension between doctors, whether it's the bad air or whether it's the germs. And there's another theory that I'm going to get into, which was also vying for popularity. So there's kind of like a lot of disagreement going on with, well, what's the cause of disease and how should we treat it? Of course, we now know, like I said, that germ theory was the accurate one. And this led to huge, huge improvements. And now we can link human behavior to disease, not through sin or spiritual forces causing them, but the spread of germs. And an improvement in hygiene practices lead to these leaps in advancement in medicine and public health and these huge, huge growths in longevity. If you look back historically and you had to say, what's kind of the most revolutionary thing that's ever happened to improve health for our world? It certainly is the discovery of germ theory and the development of hygiene practices. I don't think there's any good argument to be made that anything else has been more powerful. So germ theory is still very important and dominating, as we know, through our current time. But the other theory that was also vying for attention during this time was called humorism. Humorism is the theory that our body contains four humors, and any disease is the result of an imbalance in these humors, so if you have too much or too little. The four humors that were... Put forth were blood, phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. And this might also sound pretty wacky and wild to you, but this was very, very popular, and there was a lot of fighting amongst physicians, whether it was germs or an imbalance of the humors. You can go back and read some very fascinating stories here in our United States history about the way people were being treated by physicians our physicians really held held on to humorism for quite a bit longer and resisted germ theory even when in Europe and other places around there they knew germ theory to be true and were only doing treatments based on that and even if you look at the kinds of treatments that are based on humorism even though it sounds like such a you know outdated approach, bloodletting, which you may or may not have heard of, but probably, which is just bleeding people who are sick, like just cutting them and letting blood out, um, that was used in medicine as recently as the 1940s, which is coming from this humorism approach to disease, right? So we know now that that's completely outdated and wrong, and that germ theory won the day. It's the accurate view, but this is what's going on for. 150 years or so, this kind of battle about who's right, what causes disease. As you can see, though, whether you're talking about germ theory or miasma or humorism, all of these views put the focus onto biological and physiological aspects of health. So there's just a complete focus on physical health. And furthermore, health is just seen as this absence of disease. In fact, we're really not going to talk about health at all back then that's not on the docket it's just disease once germ theory surpasses and replaces humorism and miasma as the leading theory of disease hygiene practices do become pretty much the sole behavioral aspect of health that is popularly discussed and it, again, led to huge, huge improvements. So this is not to put that down. It's just to say that we now know it's an incomplete view of health, right? And that there are a lot more behavioral aspects of health that are relevant. But for a long time, there was no discussion of the things that kept you healthy or helped you avoid disease aside from avoiding germs and trying to have good hygiene. Also during this Whole period of time as germ theory becomes the dominant view, the whole field of medicine and medical science in general just is rising in popularity, and medical education itself is being formalized. So, one of the things I've become really interested in is the history of medicine because this that's why I'm going over all of this with you today because I think it really helps open our eyes on how we view health how we deal with health problems to this day and where how we got to where we are at all the influences on that during this time in the late 1800s early 1900s this is when our modern approach to medicine is starting to come into its full form and medical education is being really established and formalized And it's becoming more popular to use doctors to treat medical conditions versus what was very common for a long, long time. You know, like I said, ancient times, it was seen as spiritual. So it might be some sort of a spiritual healer. Um, Then it was these traveling, quote unquote, snake oil salesmen that peddled different kinds of treatments door to door that were not based in any kind of science. They were really just trying to make money, right? So that becomes out of kind of favor and doctors start to become the primary way people treat health issues or improve their health. But if you look from the early 1900s even through our modern times, there's this increasing tension and dichotomy where the prominence of medical science has risen. We have a great respect for it. It's come so far. There's so many great treatments that have been developed even in just the last 20 years, just just huge advancements. But we also see a continued popularity of people who push pseudoscientific approaches to health and are trying to make money selling a treatment that has no basis in evidence. That is still a very big, big industry, so to speak. And medical science still competes with these kinds of people to this day. When, though, did we start to see uh, people talking about being healthy and living healthy? So this whole time I've said the whole focus is on physical health and the spread of germs or contagion. When did people start talking about what we today think of as a healthy lifestyle? Well, the first time we can really start to see this is in the 1960s, and a good example is the fact that jogging was, quote-unquote, invented in the late 1960s. So something that we think of as just very common and ubiquitous, like a super, super normal thing for people to do, was totally new. Before this, only serious athletes would regularly run or exercise for fun. And even when people started jogging, it was definitely seen as this very fringe hobby that health extremists do. And you can even find there's a in the 1968 New York Times published this op ed that talks about this handful of unusual freaks who choose to run in their free time. Like what weirdos? Can you believe them? You know, so this really only started in in the 1960s and even in the late 1960s. And even then was seen as kind of this weird group of people. In the 1970s, first off, I want to mention that health psychology is established as a field. So scholars become interested in understanding how things like stress and relationships can be important to health outcomes. So they want to take it beyond looking at something like germs and say, well, what are the other behaviors that we can link to health. And we begin to think more deeply about why some people are healthy and others are not. And also throughout the 1970s, we see people starting to pop up who are like health gurus. And this continues into the 1980s where we see these healthy lifestyle gurus becoming more and more popular. One of the very first ones who became very popular is a guy named Jack LaLanne, the juicing guy, right? So this is also one of the first times you start to see this culture built around like, hey, look at me, I'm so healthy, I do all the right healthy things, just follow me and do it my way and you'll be healthy too. And that we, again, see carried in through this day. In the 1980s is actually when gyms started to become popular and started popping up everywhere. And along with those gyms came this kind of new focus on the culture of healthy living. But it was still seen as kind of a somewhat particular group of people with this particular lifestyle preference. It wasn't seen as this value that everyone could share and be interested in. I mean, the people who were the most outspoken proponents of the healthy lifestyle, sure, they of course believed everyone should live that way. But culturally, and if you look at what was mainstream, it was just viewed as this weird way or these kind of weird group of people still even into the 80s. One of the things that I love is going back and watching movies or reading things like what was going on back then. So I recommend if you like these kinds of things that you should check out the movie Perfect, which is from the 1980s. It stars John Travolta and Jamie Lee Curtis And it follows a true story about an up-and-coming reporter who decides to cover this hot new trend of gyms and healthy lifestyle. And Jamie Lee Curtis is this aerobics instructor. And of course, you know, they fall for each other, yada, yada, yada. It's very hilarious and entertaining. But it's also just genuinely eye-opening to see how differently people, even as recently as the 1980s, were thinking about healthy living, like how new it was. And it was like, oh, this hot new trend, right? So I think it's helpful to go back and look how different things were even that recently. When then did healthy living become a very mainstream industry? It really gained steam through the 80s, but it solidified during the 1990s. So the health and wellness industry, it really comes into what we how we see it to this day in that form in the 1990s. And it even continues to grow year by year. So nowadays, most people would say they're interested in living a healthy lifestyle. And it's only really this fringe group of people who are seen as, well, they reject healthy living and they're not interested in improving their health through things like nutritious diet or regular exercise or stress management. It's very unusual that you would meet someone who would say they're not interested in those things or they don't value those things. And again, this is something that would have been very kind of fringe interest, even as recently as the 1980s and going into the 1990s. That's when, you know, it became very mainstream. Unfortunately, this increased influx of money that's being put toward health and wellness and this increased interest in health and wellness has also led to many untrained and unqualified people spreading misinformation or products and services that are not shown to be effective simply to get a piece of the pie. So like I talked about, you know, this continued tension between an evidence-based approach like that we see in medicine compared to people who are just trying to promote themselves as, hey, follow me and you'll be healthy just buy my program or buy my shake or follow my steps or whatever it is. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of those people out there now. There and it's growing every day. There's just more and more of them because there's more and more money and it's becoming more and more mainstream and considered the norm to want to be healthy, to value health, and to need some help in doing that. So I think it's more important than ever to be what I call a savvy health consumer. In the United States, it's very much a capitalist approach to health and you are the health consumer. So when it comes to pursuing better health or managing your health, you consume information and you consume different services. And in so doing, I feel like you really need to be very savvy because there are a lot of people who want your time, who want your money, who want your attention, who don't have any legitimate expertise and don't have anything to sell you that's worthwhile, So we're going to dig into the complexity of this on a future episode, really what it looks like to be a savvy health consumer and why it's so important. But on this episode, I just want to define a savvy health consumer as one who knows and can clearly communicate health values and goals and is able to find high quality evidence and competent, capable health professionals to help them meet their goals. So again, I want to dig into that. That's, that's a, there's a lot to unpack there, but I just want to throw that out there on this first episode that my perspective and part of what I want to do in this podcast, part of what my goal is with my career in general, is to help people become savvy health consumers. One of the things I do want to pause and talk about on this first episode as well is that throughout this podcast, you're going to see me focus on the psychological and social factors linked to health, but this should not be taken as evidence that I believe that health is simply the result of an individual's personal choices. And I want to make sure I say that very clearly and plainly in this first episode. I do not want to contribute to the growing belief and policies based on it, That health is the consequence of whether a person is making healthy choices, and therefore disease and subsequent treatments are the sole responsibility of the individual. We're going to talk a lot about the fact that health is interconnected, that we can talk about the health of families, the health of communities, the health of a society. And it is not only an individual thing, I do not subscribe to an individualistic view of health, nor do I think people's health problems generally reflect simply their bad choices. One of the hugest factors driving health outcomes is socioeconomic status. We know this to be true. And that's just a proxy for systemic racism and income inequality. So let me be clear in saying I do not believe that a disease-free life is guaranteed for anyone who makes the quote-unquote right choices. And no person who understands anything about medicine or health would believe this either. Health is much more complicated than that, and it is certainly not the case that our health outcomes are completely under our control. This is just a new form of the misperception that disease is due to sin or personal weakness or failure, and I do not endorse it. I also want to say that these are very trying times. Our global pandemic has placed the emphasis back onto germ theory and hygiene and the importance of following our public health guidelines, including mask wearing and hand washing and physical distancing, is very important. So I don't want to undermine the importance of physical health and personal hygiene and stopping the spread of germs. But we do now have an understanding that loneliness and isolation are also threats to our health. And we need to be able to have a real and honest discussion about how to navigate the tension created when balancing our need for healthy social connection and other things like that with our need for controlling the spread of this virus. And these conversations must be based in science, acknowledging the complexity of the issue, and should be filled with compassion for everyone going through an extremely trying time. So, I hope that that helps you see a little bit more where I'm coming from with this podcast as well. And I hope that some of the things you learned on the podcast today have been interesting and eye opening and get you thinking about health in a new and different way. And I hope that you'll join us on our next episode where I'm going to talk about what does the word healthy even mean? How do we define it and measure it? What do I personally believe it means to live a healthy life? And we're going to dig into some of the founding ideas of health psychology. We're going to talk about popular cults of health culture that dominate the current conversations on health and how to prioritize your health without becoming a zealot. So I hope you'll join us. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening. This has been hella healthy. Have a hella great day and please remember to be kind.